everybody. We are back oh, to another No Sex Thank Ladies. Thank you very much, Nick. I'm religious. Well, Welcome, everybody. We are back for another No Sex Please, I'm Religious podcast. And today we've got a really serious one to, to share. It's a very sad story and, and it does touch on abuse. And, and we also touch on the fact that many people who, who suffer rejection and abuse from the community from family, from church, from temple, wherever, suffer enormously for that. And sometimes it has led, in fact, far too often to suicide. So if anybody is troubled by what we, we present today, let me encourage you to call local support networks. In Australia, we have Lifeline as one of the primary ones. And there are always people there who can talk to you and help you at a time when you A few years ago on Facebook, I came across a page, and I don't even know how I came across it, but it was called Silentium, which is Latin for silence. And the story that you can find on that page, and I'll put a link to it on the Facebook page, is about two young men who were resident at the Catholic College at Sydney University in Sydney. They were gay men, and they'd been abused in various ways, mainly verbally and mockery and so on. And one day they were taken by a group of people. They, were, they didn't know who they were. They physically abused them. They left them in a dreadful state after violating them with um, implements. And then they put them in the, the back of a car, in the boot of a car. They drove them naked to the park in Sydney, the Royal National Park drove up a, what was a dirt road back then. This would be the, probably in the 19, early 1960s, late 50s, perhaps. And, and uh, they were put out into a ditch. One man was traumatized by it. He was left in a fetal position. And his friend tried to encourage him to come with him, but he couldn't. So the friend went off on his own and finally found a ranger's cottage. He was able to break a window to get in. There was no one there. And he used a phone to call the police, who then came and rescued him and the other boy. Young man, when I say boy, they were probably, I'd imagine, around 20, maybe 19, whatever, but young. I was so terribly moved by this that I wrote in November 2018 a poem called Silentium, which basically tells the story. And I dedicated it to innocence everywhere, abused and despised by their oppressors and ignored by the silence of those who could defend but do not. And it was Edmund Burke who said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Robed in the princely purple finery of his position, the archbishop invoking God intervened and bestowed a blessing to curse. Silentium, silentium. In the dark boot of the car, injustice lay naked, bruised, battered and betrayed. Two young men, mere boys, students of the college not yet at the beginning of their careers. The crime that inspired such a hideous sentence, they were different and worthy of the disdain and cruelty of a normal minority. Who would go on to enjoy the silent approval of a normal majority of their peers and the blessing of their church. The boys will be boys, except buggers. Silentium, 
Silentium, thrown into the, a ditch at the end of a dirt road and left shivering with shock, bleeding and bereft of all dignity. These boys, who would not be boys, would, unlike their oppressors, keep their humanity and the innocence that inspired such rage. And so we ask, where now are those who performed the bishop-blessed torturous buggery? Where the police who remember the holy orders to suppress Silentium? Where indeed? Where to those in that great hall who jeered the assailed and applauded the unjust mongers? Where the judges, lawyers, professors and politicians now enjoying satisfying careers and a public righteousness beyond question? Where indeed? People and institutions change, but history does not. The sins of the fathers, Salentian, Frustra, labours in vain. The other parts of that story that I didn't explain before I read that to you are that when the boys were, the young men was, were saved and brought back by the police, they made a report to the police. They then were jeered and abused by the people who were gathered to eat in the dining hall every time they walked in. One day, the principal of the college summoned them to his office. And when they arrived at the office, they discovered the Catholic Archbishop of Sydney sitting at the desk with the principal. The Archbishop said to them, you're not serious about taking this to court through the police, are you? And one of the men responded, yes, we are. And he said, don't you realize that some of Australia's future judges, future lawyers, future politicians, future leaders are amongst those who have persecuted you? In other words, there's no chance. They didn't change their minds. They walked out and the young man in question went immediately to the phone, rang the police and the police sergeant who spoke to them said, son, I'm really sorry. We've had to destroy the file. You don't realize how powerful these people are. Now, the Facebook page has some beautiful artwork on it which is a cater created for the Archbishop of Sydney that tells the story of their abuse. And the young man in question, the primary young man in this story, the one who tried to save his friend, spent more than 12 months creating this beautiful work. And yet in the work itself, the embroidery shows pictures of their abuse. It shows what happened to them. Normally, holy garments have stories of the Christ or others embroidered into them. In this case, they told a different story. Now, I know I've spoken by chat to the man who created the mitre. I haven't spoken to him personally. He's given me permission to use the poem. I shared that with him. He has been advised by his counsellors not to come out publicly because he suffered mentally from this one abuse all his life.
the reason I wanted to raise this is because this is an example within our silentium, silentium, silence, silence. How does it affect you? Does it affect you greatly? I know, I believe it would have. It's hard to find words, isn't it? It's hard to find words. I hadn't had a chance to read your poem or see the article before we've met now. So I'm hearing this story for the first time and, and I'm just, I just want to cry. Yeah. I just want to cry. It is gut-wrenchingly horrible. Yeah, it is. I was so angry when I read it. I was so angry. I just wanted to shout from a rooftop somewhere, scream. The word justice, where is, I couldn't even begin to imagine how an archbishop could cover up, how anyone to do with the church could allow such things to happen. And which is not just naive, it's not really naivety. I know it happens all the time. But it never ceases to make me absolutely unbelieving that it should happen. And I think it should be like that, because if I stop feeling like that, I've given in to what's mm. going on. And I certainly know during the un uncovering of all of the abuse in the Catholic Church, good Catholic friends of mine who teach in Catholic colleges, just so heartbroken, so shattered. Yeah to know that everything that they believe in and teach and have lived for incredibly sacrificially all their lives had been betrayed. Yeah. So betrayed by the people who should be the arbiters of all that is good. And yeah. on oh, my mother's heart, I didn't know who I wanted to just jump at most, to think if, he, if they'd been my boy... I would have been down there doing something very violent. But what if I'd been the mother of perpetrators? Yeah. Yeah. How would you, how, how do you teach your children to have that love and respect for all people that stands firm even against what must have been massive peer pressure? And to hear that there were girls in the gallery, I think that the young guys were 18. So back then they would have been boys. Yeah. Absolutely. And girls in the gallery cheering on the rapists. It's awful. Uh, just who, how do we fail to teach our children respect for other people that can mm -hmm. stand firm even in the face of massive peer pressure? So and the trouble is that even though this happened so many years ago, in some cases it still happens. And the battle for people who have suffered abuse, either through the church or through organisations or through other places, for their voices to be heard has been so difficult. And again, it's this silentium thing that people don't speak up. Yep. And we all are guilty of that at some point, aren't we? And Jim, did you want to say something on this? Yeah, look, I resonate with what Kath and Merrill have said and how can you find words, but I will. I spent four years in a boarding school in the late 60s and I know what it's like to live in fear and by your wits when you've got bullies and people that are vulnerable and at times vulnerable yourself so I, I feel something for these men that that experience that and have some inkling small inkling of just how that put you at a heightened sense of awareness and defence, having to live off your your wits, really, to stay safe. Yeah. There's that level. But 
it's it's almost I don't know whether some Friday nights I used to like I'm not sure I do that have done that recently but watch a good movie on a Friday night to end the week and you watch a thriller and some of the best thrillers are when someone's in grave trouble and they turn to the authorities for help but it's the authorities that are the corrupt ones you know what I'm saying that yeah Yep. scares you because where do you turn then who do you go to there's no other course of action and they are all powerful all knowing all seeing and they hunt you down that's a whole nother level there's one thing about the abuse that's horrific in itself and as you painted the picture Meryl of having a gallery of people witnessing that and cheering it on but then to go to an authority and have them corrupt and blocking you and being in a real sense complicit with that where do you go you, you've got nothing left in the world of where you can seek justice yeah. and uh, the added layer i think is when it's done in the name of a religion in the name of god uh, but yeah. this is even more despicable is not even the word it's just a word evil it's evil it's nothing yeah. more evil in a previous podcast, I spoke about how what's this got to do with our image of God? And I know for those people who I see as a spiritual director who have been abused by clergy or by church workers, that it's their image of God who has been shattered so much. Yes. The church is seen as a human representation of the divine one. And when the human representation is so abusive, then who is a God that allows this? How can you tell me of love? Yeah. It's another layer of horror when these things violated are happening in the name of God. Yeah. yeah. Can I just say that I'm, I know from hearing each of you and how you're feeling and how I still feel about this, that our hearts go out to those young men who are now no longer young men, but something was destroyed in both of them way back yeah. then. And I'm, it sort of, makes me think and things still happen in australia we've only had some of the murders the gay murders that used to happen in sydney decades ago some of them are only just being brought to justice now some of them were covered up police weren't interested in following it up and so on and we've got the same in basically every state and it used to happen with prostitutes too if something happened with a prostitute then so what sort of thing but mm -hmm. as Kath, you understand well, and me, we have the same stories happening almost on a weekly basis in Kenya and in Uganda. And we have the sad, I think, the terribly sad thing of the silence of, of much of the established church, because these people don't matter because they're gay or they're lesbians or in some people's minds, worse, they're trans. And I had one fellow that I supported recently. He runs a safe house and in, in Kenya, and they're not allowed to work. Um, they don't have rights to work, most of them. If they don't get help from outside, what happens to them? And this guy, I said to him, look, I'm sorry, I can't do, keep doing this. You're going to have to get the people in the house to earn money somehow. And as I said that, I thought, I hope not. But anyway, I said it anyway, you're going to have to get them to earn something somehow to contribute. And then he sent me a post and he, it was it was a video. And he said he he showed me what he's had to do in the past to get people to give money from other countries. 
and it's sex work. And how else do you diminish? Mark earlier talked in that earlier podcast about my friend Mark Gearing about the equality, the balance. It's got to be equal. So if it's something, it's not an oppressor and a victim. It's two people together on the same plane. And that should be every aspect of life, right? But in this case, it isn't because these people basically don't matter to so many. Mm-hmm. So I'm, gl- I'm grateful. I'm really grateful to each of you that you're willing to share this journey with us and this story with us so that we can perhaps change the conversation, change the dialogue, because if it's not discussed, it's disgusting. But I'm really grateful to each of you. Do you have anything in particular to add, anyone? Just Um, to send out my heartfelt love to these people and to each person out there whose this story has affected because it's been replicated in some personal story of your own. I just want you to know that there is love. It can be done a different way, and my heart is with you. Thanks Thanks very much, Kath. Meryl? Yeah, I'd just like to add, amen, Kath, amen. Having worked for a number of years in Zambia, how much the church needs to take responsibility for sowing hatred. I don't know what pre-Christianizing society thought or felt about people who were different, people who were sexually other than what was seen as the norm. But certainly my experience in Zambia was very much that it tends to be the more conservative evangelical churches who evangelise and bring their divisive, fully rigidly boxed in ideas of how humans should be with them and sell that as part of the whole package. It's bought because so much of the package is very attractive and the whole idea of feeling that you belong to something so important and over against others. So I really appreciate that this podcast has been started as one step at least in in those of us who would say we are not part of that church, (laughs) being able to stand up and say we are not part of that church. We think God is better and bigger than that or else why the hell would we be talking about this God thing anyway? And to say we want to apologise as much as we can for that and do everything in our power to try to reverse some of the horrific effects of it or to at least stand with those who've been abused by it. Thank you very much, Meryl. Thank you. That draws us to a close, I think. Sorry, Jim, did you want to add something? Uh, Just to say again with Kath and Meryl, my heart goes out to all those who have had trust shattered and their personal self-worth shredded. This podcast is a drop in the ocean, but it's a drop. It's one, hopefully one drip at a time to try and correct the horrendous abuse in the name of God quite often that has occurred. And so I'm with Marilyn, Kath and David and thankful to be a part of this because I think it's an important conversation and hopefully leads to action in all sorts of places. I want to thank each of you. Thank you very much for your time today. And to each of our listeners, one of our famous Australian podcasters or broadcasters is a fellow that I listen to quite regularly. And he always talks about only 
one is one listener one listener if we've got one listener that's great thank you very much and if you can support us the links are on our website we really appreciate each and every one of you